0: This is Husker Sports Network Originals, presented by JTech Construction, the official exterior experts of Husker Nation. Husker Sports Network Originals tell iconic stories from Husker history, featuring insights from the players and coaches who live them. Subscribe to the Husker Sports Network on your favorite podcast service. And now, Brooke, the life of a Husker legend.
1: Well, a lot of things go through my mind when I think of of Brooke. I remember watching him play, obviously in high school, growing up in this state and being a huge Husker fan. Uh, seeing the way he handled himself as a Husker,
2: um, all
1: the things that he did off the field to give back to the community.
2: When I really feel Brooke's presence is uh, whenever I get a chance to go out, you know, pheasant or quail hunting, and uh, those many, many times that he and I were together.
3: I think when you're 18 to 21 years old, you always think you're going to live forever. And then when that doesn't happen, and you see see that in a teammate, somebody you know, uh, a lot of guys at that point kind of reflected on uh, where their life was headed.
4: I mean, he was just about, you know, competing and being a great teammate on the field. You know, so when, you, when you're around a, a guy that's that, I call it viciously competitive, when they're on the field, you know, it's infectious. For Nebraska football fans, that had a 9-11
5: day feel to it that afternoon and, you know, for the days that followed. it, It really did. This tragic story now being reported
0: from Lincoln, Nebraska. Brooke Behringer, Nebraska Cornhusker quarterback, is reported as killed today. ...tragic death of Brooke Beringer. The Nebraska quarterback was killed when a two-seat two plane he was piloting crashed in Raymond, Nebraska today.
6: Behringer on the field stepped in for the injured Tommy Frazier in the 94 season. He won seven games as a starter for that number one team.
0: He had a pilot's license and often flew this 50-year-old plane, but... Brooke Behringer was 22 years of age
6: brooke Baringer is a husker icon and it wasn't just because of his accomplishments or toughness on the football field to number 18 his time spent at nebraska stretched well beyond the goal line this is brooke the life of a husker legend
3: the first exposure i had to brooke was not uh, via a video he came up to our football camp and um he would, it would have been between his junior and senior year, I believe, in high school. And um, he uh, impressed me because he was a, a good athlete. He was pretty tall, probably close to 6'4", and I imagine at that time probably 185 pounds. But he ran pretty well, and he was a good thrower, and um little town of Goodland, Kansas. So I don't think he probably ever played in front of more than three or 400 fans at any one time. And then we did get some film on him, and we thought he looked good. And then I went down and watched him play basketball. And he was a very good basketball player, a very good athlete. So we offered him a scholarship. I think Ron Brown was the primary recruiter. And so uh, he came.
5: You know, I think most people know um, that he was born in Scott's Bluff. So uh, this was kind of a homecoming for him. You know, the, the interesting thing about his recruitment was that Goodland, Kansas, is kind of isolated, you know, kind of like Scott's Bluff. And I know he was offered by a number of Big 8 schools, but, you know, I, I wonder what he, you know, where he would have gone had he been in a, a more centralized or, or more identifiable location. You know, so I, I, I had studied him a little bit, yes, and I saw him before he played and before he took a first his first
2: snap, for sure. It would have been at our our first uh gathering of uh of, of our team the recruiting class in 1991 and i'd only seen uh you know pictures of brooke headshots and such at that at that point in time we don't have the luxury of what kids have today of watching high school tape and you know their own youtube channels and everything else but the thing that caught me is he's uh you know he was uh he was about my height he was about six foot four he's a good looking guy and uh uh had a uh Kind of a distinct walk about him, if you would. He just kind of uh, walked uh, straight and tall, and his shoulders back, and um, kind of a long stride. And just remember his uh, his quick quick wit, and uh, he was he was a funny guy, and he told some of the funniest stories ever to us all. But you know, he he's a impressive at eighteen. Uh, you know, at eighteen years of age, he he certainly somebody would look at and go, that that guy's uh, he's a stud.
4: Yeah, I, I remember um, specifically uh, hearing about him because he was highly recruited. I know a lot of Big 8 teams were recruiting him. And it was, uh, you know, at that time, you can imagine uh, kind of the quarterback scenario. You know, he was a year younger than me, and he uh, actually came in and was competing with, you know, probably one of the best option quarterbacks in the nation. So, you know, every time there was mention of a quarterback, everybody was... Very interested because how that would play out in the competition and what it looked like for our offensive scheme uh, moving forward. Just full of personality, just an unbelievable kind of persona about him. Great smile, great humor about him, uh, very friendly. Uh, and he actually was uh, very, very close with uh, Aaron Graham, who I played with, and you know so we hung out quite a bit. Both Brooke, uh, Phil Ellis, and Aaron, all those guys lived together, so you know, we'd be over at their house, you know, just hanging out or going fishing, hunting, those type of things.
6: Beringer redshirted in nineteen ninety one and in nineteen ninety two played in just a handful of games. Till that point, Brooke was a relatively unknown quantity. Frazier was the star, and Brooke had to take a back seat.
5: Was he on my
6: radar as a
5: backup quarterback or before he even ever played? Yeah, I mean I guess the first thing, you know, in this business you wanna know is how do you pronounce the guy's name. Yeah, for most people or a lot of people still today they call him Beringer, you know. So I looked at that roster and I thought, hmm, I gotta find out how you pronounce it and so I knew it was Behringer all the way. But um, you know, it's your job when you do the radio play by play to know a little bit of something about every player when they even when they when they get here, as you know. And so I watched him You know, in spring ball and in scrimmages, and you know, was attuned to what Coach Osborne was saying about him and his potential and his raw skills. So, I feel like I did know something about him. The first game of the season in '93, I think, was North Texas, and if I'm if I remember correctly, Tommy Frazier sprained his ankle, like you know, immediately when the game started.
7: so Tommy is hurt. will send Jim Rose to find out what happened. Behringer under center at the 40 of Nebraska opening series of the game. Snap to Brooke. The give is to Calvin. 45-50. Beat rule. 45-40. And down to the 37-yard line. Fosman keeps it simple,
5: simple for Behringer's first uh, playoff. A simple handoff as he's into the ball game and the leaf for Fraser.
7: Brent sent for Nebraska. Behringer fade pass. Dixon's Double tight ends. flanker right side for the Cornhuskers. And the snap. Behringer on an option. Drops back the floor out of it. He's got Reggie Ball deep. And it's complete inside the five-yard line. A diving ground by Reggie Ball. First to go the three. Barringer waiting for the snap with a long starting count. Huskers. And the ball. And it's an option play. And Behringer gets in. untouched. Touchdown. for Behringer.
5: And so he got in in that first game in 93 and I think everybody's eyebrows raised a little bit because he was, you know, he was perfect. He was, uh, he was perfect throwing the ball that day. He was 7-for-7, seven seven, threw for 124 yards, and that accounted for more than half of the yards that he threw for all year long in 93. And he, he rushed for it to, He uh, had one touchdown pass and rushed for two others in that game. So, yeah, you know, he, he got uh, a uh, some early action early in the season. And then when Tony Veland in the second game was lost for the year he became the number two and so you know he didn't play that much in 93 but I think that first game is is the one I remember the most.
6: Brooke knew he was talented but he didn't have much of an opportunity on the field to showcase it in candid conversations with teammates Baringer admitted maybe it was time for a change.
2: For sure it did and you know there was one particular time where he and I were outside that house on 22nd and Vine that we rented and, you know, I remember leaning up against, we were leaning up against this, uh, he drove a Mustang and uh, his arms were crossed and he's, he was just like, I I, I I think I'm ready to transfer. I, I don't want to play this game, I uh, you know, I don't want to play my entire college career backing up. Tommy and I remember just encouraging him to, to hang in there and he never knew what could happen. and. So glad he, he didn't make that decision to transfer. And, and, I, and I'd also just add that in today's environment with this transfer portal, I've had this conversation with several of my teammates, uh, including recently just with Brendan Stye, who you know didn't start until his junior year because he was backing up on the greatest lineman ever uh, in the entire game, and that was Will Shields. And I told Brendan, I said, you know, if we had that transfer portal today, you wouldn't have been there. And he said, "Well, I don't know." And I said, and then he finally agreed. And said, "No, you're probably right." And I said, "I know I'm right, and and I'm also right in the fact that if that transfer portal was there at the time, Brooke Baringer was there, he most likely would have left. You know, about that sophomore year, and I would probably wouldn't blame you."
4: Yeah, it's interesting because uh, Mark Gilman, who came in with Brooke, uh, Mark was my roommate, and Mark was talking about the same thing. And it was it was a different conversation with Mark because Mark, you know, he, he still was learning how to. Play the game of football as far as uh, getting tough because it is a violent game and he was tired of being injured or bruised up and battered and he wanted to go play basketball and brooke was a tremendous basketball player as well and the two of them i remember uh the conversations were about uh, transferring and brooke was for more about going to a place where you know he might have the ability to play right away and you know aaron and i you know those conversations uh you know were both to mark and brooke you know, the same message is, you know, I mean, if you stick it out, uh, it'll pay off and, you know, we're going to get this national championship one way or another and you're going to be a part of something special.
6: Berringer showed some glimpses of the player he could be in that 1993 season. He played in every game that year, save for Oklahoma, throwing for over 200 yards, a pair of touchdowns and one interception. But Brook didn't get his real time to shine until the following season.
4: You know, it was pretty somber. I'll never forget the day Coach Osborne came out. Actually, it was right after practice, and you know, we huddled together as an offensive line group and just kind of made our minds up that we were going to take the reins. But certainly, missing our leader and Tommy, <laughs> you know, that was a huge uphill battle. And but we knew because in practice, you know, believe me, uh, the competition was always was always right there.
5: Well, as you can imagine, everybody was concerned, every Husker football fan was concerned and curious as to, you know, how this would change the complexion of what Nebraska looked like offensively because the two guys were were different kinds of quarterbacks and nobody knew what would happen uh, without Tommy. Now with Nebraska football, here's Kent Tabelka.
7: Hi again, everybody, and welcome to University of Nebraska football. A tumultuous week, if you will, has passed since our last visit. It has not been business as usual since the Cornhuskers disposed of the University of Pacific last Saturday here in Lincoln. And as Nebraska tests the Wyoming Cowboys this afternoon, it's going to be done without Heisman Trophy candidate Tommy Frazier so husker fans come into memorial stadium today and they fine-tune their radios across the country before kickoff wondering what effect frazier's absence will have on the big red and brooke Behringer. and note it is Behringer, not barringer or Baringer, but brooke Behringer becomes the focus the six foot four inch 210 pound junior from goodland kansas becomes the starting quarterback thrust into the spotlight by default with an opportunity today to silence some who have said all year long that Nebraska would be
5: nothing without Tommy Frazier. And Wyoming was ahead in that first game, 21 to seven. And it was at that point when Barringer stepped up late in the first half. And I remember right before the first half, the Huskers went on a, a scoring drive. He finished it on, I think a four or five yard run just before halftime.
7: Double tight ends, tight wing left is Klesker, fullback is Schlesinger, Cluster's in motion left to right before the snap. Beringer, long starting count, takes the snap, takes the counter, boots to the right side, he'll run it all the way, he's in there, touchdown, touchdown, for Beringer, touchdown.
5: The seven for seven, throwing the ball on that drive. And nobody knew at that point in time until later in the day that on that touchdown run, that was the play where he suffered the collapsed lung so nebraska almost lost to wyoming that day once he did see the field as the starter and it was a it was a tight fit game and it wasn't supposed to be brooke may be changing the play here he has him on the eye set four down lineman for wyoming he fakes the give
7: to the fullback on the keep is brooke he keeps the ball inside the 20, 20th 15, the 10 to 15 and ran the five great downfield block and the touchdown touchdown by nebraska's quarterback brooke barringer into the eye set, Behringer maybe changing the play here, wide splits in the defensive line. Crowd comes to a hush and first and ten takes the snap run is the option. Brooke on the carry has a block by Schlesinger in the five to the goal line for the touchdown. Brooke Behringer from 10 yards out on the Huskers. Put another one on the board.
5: But uh, yeah it was uh people were concerned and I think probably more concerned when Wyoming Took a two-touchdown lead late late in the first half.
0: Husker Sports Network Originals are presented by JTEC Construction, the official exterior experts of Husker Nation. Find out more about this great Husker partner at jtechconst.com. Now back to Brooke, the life of a Husker legend.
5: Well, I think the thing about the way he went through that year was that, you know, he had his his injuries, his lung issues, we all didn't know about it until after the fact. For example, he started that next game after the Wyoming game, it started against Oklahoma State, and his you know, he was he was hurting. He was X rayed at halftime and he was done for the day. I don't think anybody knew that he was done for the day when they went to the locker room, but he was and he spent the night in the hospital. But you know, you watched Beringer playing with a flak jacket on and I think in the rearview mirror, people were more impressed with his toughness when you stop to consider what he went through that season.
7: And the question everybody's wondering about right now regarding NU's quarterback situation is this. Brooke Behringer has been cleared to play this afternoon. However, Matt Turman will start. Behringer is available. We'll just have to see how it goes, whether or not he'll be forced into service this afternoon. Here we go, and Brooke Berringer in there, at quarterback for Nebraska, in for Matt Turman. Second and 10, Huskers, 19-yard line of Kansas State. 7-6 NU with time running out in the first half. Brooke looks at that Kansas State defense, trying to change the play. In the eye set, blanker left, went and right. Brook under center, Bill Humphrey takes the snap. Play fake, wants to throw, protection holds. He's got ball deep, throws it long. It's inside the 10, inside the 5, and the touchdown. It is first and ten Cornhuskers, thirty yard line of CU, 10:55 left, third quarter. Nebraska, 17 0 nothing. Double tight ends, smash mouth look. With the three backs in the backfield, and the snap, to Barringer drops back to throw off the play fake. He's got Alford there inside the five, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown to Eric Alford! Barringer waiting for the snap, takes it. He gives it on a no, a bootleg, throws it in the end zone. There's a touchdown, touchdown. to Mark Gilman deep in the right corner of the end zone. And it is Brooke on an option play, Brooke on the keep, inside the 25, inside the 20, inside the 15, to the 14-yard line! could pick him up and put him down. He had Stye and Muhammad blocking ahead. Ted Johnson on the tackle. But I'm telling you, a guy that's 6'4", and as lanky looking as he is, is misleading in terms of how quick he is. He doesn't look that fast, but he'll turn a 4'6", 40", 11 yards on the pickup, thanks to Sean Buckley and Nebraska 1st and 10. Brook is under center, takes it back. Option play, drops back the throw out of it. Looks long. He's got Abdul. He's beat the defense. It is touchdown! Touchdown, Abdul Muhammad! Touchdown! Nebraska facing third and long with Iowa State and all the momentum in the world with two clutch passes, Beringer to Abdul-Muhammad on both of them.
5: And one of the things I I thought about during the year that year was how, to what extent the play calling was affected. You know, I I think you were going to see fewer quarterback runs because Tommy was the quintessential running quarterback and Brooke was supposedly, you know, the same as far as being a thrower. And the thing, again, when you think about that year, because of the injuries to both Frazier and Beringer, think about how important those backs were to that team and how they dominated, and they had to dominate. But how many guys are going to play with a, his long 40% collapsed and keep going out there and, and ask for more? So it's all about you know, his legend, and you know it's more impressive as time goes by, as I think about it.
2: Well, Brooke was tough. I mean, that's one thing that... You know, I, I knew, and got to see firsthand. Matter of fact, the no funny story is, uh, you know, I mentioned that he and he and I roomed with with Phil Ellis, and Phil Ellis was our, our one of our co-captains on our '95 team, who's our starting middle linebacker. Well, he and Brooke got into this wrestling match in our basement, and I was like, oh boy, this isn't good. Um, and it was just us three down there, and being typical, you know, at that time, probably twenty-year-old males, they, they were gonna they were gonna battle to the end, if you will. and I remember Phil giving it his all and Brooke giving his all and nobody beat anybody in that in that match. And that's pretty that's a pretty uh bold thing to do when you're I don't know many quarterbacks that could uh, you know, take on your starting middle linebacker on your team and, and go toe to toe with them. And uh, he did that.
6: In nineteen ninety four, Brooke went seven and oh as a starter. He threw for over twelve hundred yards and ten touchdowns while completing over 62% of his passes. Brooks' play was good enough to help lead Nebraska back to the Orange Bowl, where they were set to clash with the Miami Hurricanes. However, despite Brooks' success, it was Frazier who won back the starting job during Nebraska's final scrimmage in Miami on Christmas Eve.
5: I don't recall exactly when or if Coach Osborne announced publicly that that he was going to start Frazier instead of Baringer. All I remember was that's the way it unfolded. And I think everybody was, all fans would have been good either way. You know, I mean, you understood why he might start Brook. You understood why he'd come back with Tommy if Tommy were, were healthy. And, and that goes back to, you know, the the way most coaches, their philosophy is if you, went, if you lost your job because of injury, you really didn't lose your job. So Frazier
4: was ready to go. I do remember it being a little bit weird exciting at the same time think about that those two weapons going into a game like that and so really it was more about uh, the principle of the matter um you know brooke had gotten us there and we, we felt at that point you know that brooke should have gotten the nod uh, but at the same time i i still believe in the system uh, and you know is you know practice speaks for itself how you grade out and the coaches had to be comfortable with it and And I think, um, you know, the conversations amongst ourselves was, you know, either one of these guys could lead us to a national championship. Um, Certainly, Brooke has put in the time and and paid his dues throughout the season and and came in and and really saved the day for us. You know, Um, it was a little strange, um, you know, seeing Tommy back out there, you know, practicing down in Miami and the two of those guys competing rep after rep and then the coaches making the decision in the end.
5: Coach Osborne had to call on Barringer to rally the team. And one thing I think about is what would have happened if Coach Osborne had decided, no, I'm going to stick with Tommy. I can't let, you know, I, we're down 10 to nothing, but I can't, I don't want to suggest that we need to make a change. But he did make a change, and, and Baringer, you know, rallies the team. And what a great story, you know, when you think about the, the nuances of, of what happened, including, you know, Brooks' contribution during his career and in that game.
7: And it is Brooke Behringer. Behringer, the 6'4", 210-pound junior, who guided Nebraska to seven straight wins when Tommy was on the shelf. Through a couple of interceptions in the scrimmage here, and that allowed Tommy to earn the starting job. And when the second quarter begins, Behringer will be at the controls, first and 10 Nebraska, at their own 29 and a half yard line behind 10 to nothing. Beringer at the controls as the Cornhuskers take over in good field position at the Miami 40. Here we go, Kent. Huskers need something on this possession. First and ten, Nebraska at the 19-yard line of Miami. Double tight ends, full house backfield. Huster Johnson in motion to the left side out of that. Brook drops back, rolls to the right, run pass option. He's got Matt Shaw. Matt Shaw's in there! Matt Shaw's in there for the touchdown! Mark Gilman's got the ball! Mark Gilman for the Touchdown! on a run pass option, first and 10 at the 19-yard line of Miami, rolls to the right as Gilman on a late release on the right side at tight end, got into the end zone for the touch.
4: You know at the time it was kind of business as usual. The coaches did such a great job in kind of taking the temperature of what was happening offensively for us during the game. And as the game wore on, it was evident that, you know, running the football uh, and running the option and running the short trap and those those type of plays were going to just really put us in a position to wear them down and, you know, have an explosive play here and there. And, you know, again, you know, Brooke came in and, you know, at the beginning of the game, and he broke the ice for us with Mark Gilman. You know, that was kind of cool. Those two guys hooking up for that first touchdown and, you know, in Miami's defense uh, stifled Brooke. And, you know, if you look back, I mean, I, I think we had like five turnovers in that game. It was it was kind of crazy, and so when when Tommy and Brooke, you know, when they would come in and out, it was uh, for me. It was like business as usual. I had enough to deal with, you know, with Warren Sapp and you know that entire defense. Um, they were so fast, but again, I thought it was a credit to the coaches and, and really taking the temperature of where we were in that game and how he substituted those both those guys in and out.
7: We got 21 seconds to go. 20, 19, 18. Nebraska will win the national championship. The Cornestors beat Miami 24-17 and win the national title. Tom Osborne just got Gatorated. There's the last second of the game, and it is official. It is history, 13-0. And bring that trophy back to Lincoln.
6: With Tommy Frazier set to return in 1995, Beringer spent the vast majority of his senior season on the bench in a backup role, a role that he took with grace and humility.
3: The main thing uh, was that, um, the next year they both came back and they were both well. And, uh, and I think there were players on the team that favored one or the other. So what we did is just threw it open. We said, well, whoever grades the best in fall camp will be the starter. And we really had a very talented team that year. And, uh, it probably wasn't going to make a lot of difference which one played because we had such a great supporting cast. But I think Brooke had one interception in fall camp, and Tommy had none. So we gave them all to Tommy. And I think that was the significant thing about Brooke was that, you know, a lot of guys would have tried to lead a revolt or make a mess out of things, and Brooke didn't do that. He, uh, he said the right thing, did the right thing. I knew it hurt him badly not to start. But he held things together. Tommy had a great year. We had a great team. Nobody came close to us that whole year. And we beat Florida at the end by 40 points or something like that. And it was the best team that I coached that year. So anyway, I had a lot of respect for him in in regard to how he handled himself.
5: One of the things maybe that helped Brooke was that the knowledge that he had played the previous season when Tommy had been injured and that he was he was effective and he was capable and he probably knew that you know at any given time it could happen again but I think that the other thing maybe that was going on for him is that he had a suspicion that he had a future uh, in the in the NFL after after his senior year regardless of, of uh, whether he played or not so all of that combined probably probably contributed to how brooke barron hung in there in, in uh, 95 as a backup after his instrumental role in in 94
4: you know looking back i remember thinking to myself you know i mean brooke gosh i mean he'd be starting anywhere else in the country but knowing his personality you know and understanding that at any given moment uh, the guy you know the guy in front of him could go down and you know, that team was confident in, in having Brooke uh, being that backup. It was unfortunate, but again, Tommy, you know, Tommy had a Heisman Trophy winning season. I think he got robbed in the end. Um, so there was no denying, you know, the level of play that Tommy, you know, afforded the team.
2: Brooke was obviously disappointed, Let you know, let's let's don't sugarcoat it and say, look, he was just a, a, a he was happy to be in the backup position. That, that, that certainly wasn't the case, but you know, he had really, <laughs> grown close in his um, relationship with Christ that year, and um, and it showed, and he took the position that he was gonna make the best of it, and um, he was gonna use some of his influence that he had, especially with the, the kids in, in the state of Nebraska, and um, I think really be a um, kind of a, you know, potential father figure or, or somebody they could look up to as uh, someone that they could uh, you know, want to emulate and be, and, and he certainly utilized that time to, to really uh, give back to the community. I mean, he, it's not like he didn't have more that he wanted to prove. He certainly proved himself enough in that junior year in 94, you know, to uh, know his value forever in Nebraska football history.
6: Between his volunteer work and time spent with the football team, Brooke also had a passion for flying. Beringer had hundreds of flying hours logged and his professional pilot's license.
2: Yeah, well, I don't recall if he had earned his pilot's license prior to coming to Lincoln, but I, I want to say that he had some training that he still needed to do um, while he was at school, and I uh, know he completed it. And you know, I had a chance to fly with him many times. It was it was definitely a passion of his. We, we'd fly in these little Cessna 152s and. You know, at that time, I'm probably 6'4", 285 pounds, and Brooke was 6'4", probably 220 pounds. And the very first time we went to go take off in what I called a go-kart with wings on it, um, we're, we're tight in the cab, and he goes to pull back on the rudder as we're going down the runway, and it's hitting my knee, and he's like, move back, move back. And I'm I'm like, yeah, move back. You know, like I, like we're going 70 miles an hour. And I finally wedge my legs underneath low enough so he could pull the steering mechanism so that we could take off. And I was like, that's how the first time we flew together was, And but he was a good pilot. He loved to challenge himself in the air. He also loved to go to the Lincoln Municipal Airport and and request that we could do touch and goes on their, on their runway, which just to me seems like that shouldn't even be permissible. Maybe they don't even allow that anymore. This would have been early 1990s, but I remember one time them controlling the air traffic that was coming in on commercial flights because, you know, Brooke was, he, he, he was persistent on the idea of asking permission to be able to run on these, to land on these runways and do touch and goes. And they the initial response is always like, no way, turn around, get out of here. And he would somehow convince them to allow us to go do that. And, and so, you know, we, we'd do two or three, and I'd be like, we, let's go. There are jumbo jet aircraft around this thing, and we're in a little little go-kart with wings here. So, On April 18th,
6: 1996, Brooke Beringer and his girlfriend's brother, Toby Lake, borrowed a friend's plane from a private airstrip just outside of Lincoln. Brooke had flown that exact same plane a dozen times. But on that warm, windy day in April, it all ended in tragedy. Investigators later determined the plane lost power during its initial climb. With wind gusts reaching up to 28 miles per hour, Behringer failed to maintain control of the aircraft. He and his passenger perished when the plane took a nosedive into an alfalfa field near the airstrip. Behringer was only 22 years old.
2: We were actually scheduled to speak at a FCA banquet. Tony Velan was there with me. Uh, Coach Osborne was, was, was planning to be there and certain, and so was Brooke and it was actually Coach Osborne who had broke the news to Tony and I and I just couldn't believe it. I mean, it was beyond shock really. And it, it was one of those things that we'd elected to move forward. Uh, there were several hundred people who were at that FCA banquet and we, decided to move forward and not cancel the events it's, it was only minutes away and you know at that that point in time it just it didn't hit me till obviously later when you know really really had a chance to sink in but uh, just speechless you know there was cameras in our face afterwards and i I really couldn't muster the 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 words to say what I
4: felt and just still couldn't believe it. Earlier in that day, we were, we were taking like a an excursion trip on one of those trimorans And this guy taps me on the shoulder and I had a Nebraska citrus bowl shirt on. He goes, hey, did, did you play with a guy named Brooke Beringer? And I said, uh, well, yeah. He goes, you know, I think he died today. And I go, what are you talking about? You know, just like, what? And he goes, yeah, I thought I saw, you know, something about, uh, you know, his, his years on, on, on Earth and, you know, whatever they were talking about. It. I said, yeah, I kind of brushed it off because the, the draft was in a week. So I figured they were just talking about Brooke and, and I was just hoping, you know, against everything that that was not the case. And the day went on and I forgot about it. And we got back, um, we went to a bar, Justin, Jennifer and I, and Kina went back to the boat. Well, as we're walking back to the boat before it takes off, Kena's leaning out the side of the boat and she goes, did you know Brooke? And that's when it hit me. And so I went upstairs, and it's it's amazing how, you know, as as the world we live in today, uh, how news travels, how fast it traveled to me on that boat in the middle of nowhere, and went up, and I made a call to Mark Gilman, and he was just beside himself distraught, and and that's how I found out.
5: I was the uh, operations manager slash program director for KFAB at the time and you know i was coming off that 95 season so i had spent a long day at the radio station and i got i was driving home and it, you know it, it broke on the radio and i can't even put into words how uh, it affected me because you know it was such a tragedy in and of itself but i at the same time was going through you know i was i was at the precipice of being put out to pasture for my my own future and it all came crashing down at the same time, and really, the combination of that happening, and then losing the football job myself, I think that's when I kind of became clinically depressed for a number of years, really. But that was that was just a, you can't explain what a, a, a terrible blow that was to, to hear that on the on the radio. It was kind of like um, for Nebraska football fans that had a 9/11 day feel to it that afternoon and you know for the days that followed it, it really did
3: i had a phone call from it must have been somebody from the sheriff's office and they they weren't real sure of uh, the identity at that time and they were a little concerned because i think brooks pickup was parked at the little landing strip I didn't even know he was flying that little plane, to tell you the truth. But I knew he was interested in flying, and so uh, this little Piper Cub was what he was flying that day. Eventually, I went out there with uh, a couple other guys. I think Ron Brown was with me, and a guy who had sort of been a spiritual mentor to Brooke uh, went along. And uh, we came there; there wasn't much left. Uh, Just a little metal framework of the airplane and. Cause it burned and uh, we very quickly knew that that had to be the plane that Brooke was in because of his pickup and uh, so it was a pretty pretty tough day pretty tough week I remember we had the spring game just a few days later and uh, they had a tribute to uh, Brooke that they played up on the video screens and that uh, was pretty pretty tough to watch and I think it was for all of our players
2: You know, the other thing that Brooke and I had in common is that we both lost a parent before we got to the university. I lost my mom with cancer my senior year, and he lost his dad to cancer at a much younger younger age. I think, you know, us both dealing with with death at the level that we did at a younger age allowed me to focus on the things that I truly appreciated about our relationship and all the great qualities that he offered. And, you know, I try to remember, keep those things at the, at the forefront of my mind. And he obviously died tragically at a young age, but he lived a uh, a pretty fantastic life in the few short years he was here.
6: There was plenty of speculation about what Beringer's future was in the NFL, a story left untold. Brooke would eventually have his name called at the 1996 draft. However, it wasn't in the way anyone could have imagined.
7: In the National Football League and in sports generally, the death of uh, Brooke Behringer, the University of, quarterback, University of Nebraska quarterback who lost his life this week in an airplane accident. I
2: would ask you to join us uh, in a moment of silence. You know, there was a lot going on in my life at that time. You know, his death occurred the day before the NFL draft, and I was I was drafted uh, in the fourth round that, that uh, subsequent day, but, you know, we planned a a draft party at my home in, in Texas. And I had a bunch of family members who, friends who um, were making the travels to come over. And I felt like it was best to probably go be with them. You know, I don't know if I'd do it any differently. They, uh, His funeral was, you know, that during that time period. And, um, you know, I didn't get a chance to be at his funeral. So I felt like, you know, there was still some closure that I, I had to deal with.
5: Oh, I, that, I definitely think he had a chance, uh, you know, and so often in professional sports, the NFL included, it depends on, you know, who takes you, where you wind up and what needs are, et cetera. But I think, you know, the consensus was that he would have been probably better suited for the NFL than, than the college game even. I mean, this guy had such a feathery touch throwing the football. And he was a better runner than he was given credit for. That's that's the other thing that is an interesting caveat to that part of Nebraska football history. You know, he, Behringer was better as a runner than people thought. Tommy had the stronger arm, really, throwing the ball. But Behringer had such great touch that, you know, you could see him as an
4: NFL quarterback performer. Because Brooke. You know, his forte uh, was, you know, I mean, certainly a great athlete and could run the option, but he could also throw the football. Um, He had kind of that NFL stature about him, you know, 6'4", very athletic, could move around in the pocket.
3: He had talent, and uh, I know there was quite a bit of interest on the part of the NFL in him. And uh, so that plane crash was kind of a tragic event because... I'm sure he would have been drafted. It probably wouldn't have been a first or second round pick, but maybe maybe as high as third, fourth, fifth round. And uh, and I think he'd had a, a reasonably good chance to make it just because of his his height and his throwing ability and his character. So it was uh, quite a blow to everybody involved.
2: I also think that you know Brooks showed enough in that '94 season to grab the attention of of the pro scouts and. You know, the, a lot of people are aware, and, and I confirmed this with his mom Jan several years ago when we were together, because I, I just hadn't heard it directly from her, I'd heard others talk about it, but um, you know, the Denver Broncos were, were planning on taking him with one of their draft picks um, in that 96 draft, and it saddens me to, to think about that, because Brooke was a Broncos fan. He grew up in Goodland, Kansas, about three hours or so away from Denver. and. That'd be a dream come true for anybody to be able to play for your, your closest uh, uh, NFL team that you supported.
6: Barringer had a profound impact on everyone that surrounded him, especially his coaches and teammates.
3: I think when you're 18 to 21 years old, you always think you're going to live forever. And then when that doesn't happen and you see see that in a teammate, somebody you know, Uh, A lot of guys at that point kind of reflected on uh, where their life was headed. So he had a a strong impact on uh, the whole program, really. But he was was a guy that uh, I was in that room with him for five years because uh, I was in the quarterback meetings and ran the quarterback meeting. So we got to know each other quite well. He loved to hunt and fish. And uh, I remember one time, I, I have a piece of property up northwest of Lincoln, not a very big place and I had a problem with some coyotes. And I said, "Uh, Brooke, you you think you could get a coyote? And uh, he said, well, I think so. I remember he he brought me a picture of this coyote. He'd called it in and shot it. And I remember how he was very, very proud of that accomplishment. That was kind of the guy, kind of guy he was, and um, just a generally good person. A guy that held things together for us uh, during a really critical time.
2: When I really feel Brooke's presence is, uh, whenever I get a chance to go out, you know, pheasant or quail hunting and uh, those many, many times that he and I were together.
4: You know, there's certain people that you, you meet that, you know, have this lasting oppression in your memory. You close your eyes, you see their face. And every time I close my eyes, I see Brooks smile, you know, and kind of that, that witty laughter uh, that he always had. You know, the impact that he had on my life was, he was a genuine human being, very compassionate, cared about, you know, his teammates, you know, his parents, you know, his girlfriend. And, you know, it was just, you know, it's, it's so sad. You know, they always talk about the good die young, and it's unfortunate. You know, we live in a world where, you know, it's reactionary uh, after the fact, and, you know, we prepare for the worst after we know how to prepare it. How do you ever prepare for something like that? I mean, it's just, Whenever you lose somebody at a young age, you know you start to reflect about how you live your life, and you know would it be the life that that person, in this case, Brooke, would have lived? And so, you know, I think uh, you know the message that that Brooke would, that he would want everybody to know, is that you know don't take this life for granted, treat people like you want to be treated, and and uh, cherish every moment you've got on earth. In 2006.
6: Nebraska native Fred Hoppy created a sculpture of Behringer that still sits just outside of North Stadium. The statue depicts Behringer and Coach Osborne standing side by side, ensuring that Brooke would be memorialized forever.
3: So when somebody came to me about the idea of a statue, <laughs> I hate statues. And I said, no, I'm not gonna have any statue. And then the, the guy who did it, uh, I think kind of knew my weakness. They said, well, what about if we put Brooke there? And I said, well, yeah, it makes some sense. Because Brooke really symbolized to me some the best of some of our athletes. So uh, anyway, that's how that came to be.
5: Well, I think that, um, you know, young people come through and and see what's outside the stadium there, um, including Brooke's statue, and they hear the stories, and I think it all comes together, all of it to embody what the the culture and the history of the program is and you know
4: I think it uh, I think it adds a lot to the story. You know, I think his off the field endeavors, you know, giving back to the community have been very well written about, but how how genuine that really was behind the scenes, you know, he was such a great guy off the field, uh, but on the field highly competitive. I've been around a few quarterbacks in my time that had that kind of that competitive edge and Brooke was all about that. I mean he was just about you know competing and being a great teammate on the field and you see that with teammates obviously with Coach Osborne and so for him to be you know immortalized in that statue in the front of the stadium every time you know a student athlete, football player, all athletes you know Nebraska fans whoever enters that stadium understands that, you know, that's that's the important thing here is, you know, it's not all about you. Uh, it's about what you can give, and and I think that uh, Brooke uh, represented that as, as well as Coach Osborne.
1: I don't think there's any question about it. When you walk into the North Stadium at Mor- Memorial Stadium and you see Coach Osborne's statue, he didn't want that statue there, but he said, I'll tell you what, I'll allow it if you put Brooke next to me. And I think that just says everything you need to know about their relationship and what coach osborne felt like his relationship was with with brooke Beringer. and you know i walk past that statue nearly every day and you know just uh, reminds you how precious life can be and you know he did so much in his short time on this earth and i i'm you know one of the players that played here that's been lucky enough to receive the brooke Behringer citizenship award and I was a part of that for a couple of years as a player here and, and I know the, the guys that have been a part of that over, over the years have, have always you know, looked at him as an inspiration and somebody that led the way and doing the right thing off the field and helping children across the state and doing everything he could to use his platform as a Husker to make other people's lives better. And that's what Brooke was about.
3: Well, I think for the people who knew him, that was the biggest part. I think for a lot of people simply that he was very instrumental to our football team in 94 and uh, held us to the point where we had an undefeated season and played a part in the national championship game. But most of them probably, if there's a special place in their heart, it's because of the plane crash and and that happening not long after his career was completed. But I think for most of us who knew him, uh, our main... Devotion or dedication to Brooke was simply the kind of person that he was and uh, we've had a lot of great players But he probably had the most impact on our football team because of his character and uh, It wasn't just because of his athletic ability
2: Well, I don't think he's been forgotten and that's a good thing. Uh, I certainly haven't forgotten our teammates my teammates uh, You know haven't forgotten him certainly the fans in Nebraska haven't, and that uh, we always make it a point to, you know, swing by the statue of me and, and Coach Osborne on the north edge of the stadium when we're down there and snap a photo with the family and my daughter. We've got four children. My only daughter. We named. We gave her middle name of. of uh, her name is Landry Brooke Graham, and obviously named after after Brooke Baringer. And um, she always uh, enjoys getting a you know a photo and understanding more of the stories in our relationship to understand why I would. Want to and both not just on me, but her but her mom would have wanted to give give her his name.
0: The proceeding has been a husker sports network original. Brooke, the life of a husker legend, was narrated by Ben McLaughlin. Produced by Josh Hilkeman, Tim Curran, Ben McLaughlin, and Austin Orman. With sound design by Brett Whitty. Special thanks to Paul Jake Jacobson. Subscribe to Husker Sports Network Podcast for more great Husker Sports original episodes presented by JTEC Construction.